1 Kings chapter 3, beginning at verse 3, says, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life, or riches, or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Now, what I love about this text is throughout this text is weaved the ways in which we navigate this Christian life and actually receive from God. He starts out with saying, because you asked for this at your word, I'm going to give this to you. What was that? Wisdom and understanding. In other words, an, an understanding mind. He said, but because you didn't ask for this, for wealth and for fame, I'm going to give that to you as well. And oh, by the way, I'm going to give you what you asked for. I'm going to give you what you didn't ask for. But also, if you will continue to walk in my ways as you have walked in my ways, then I will lengthen your days. So there is a thing that Solomon received because he asked. There are also things that he received that he did not ask for. And then there is the promise to receive something that he didn't have, but he would only be given it if he did the thing that God was calling him to do. And this is our life with God always. It is not this or that or this or that. It can be all of it. It is not true for us to say that we only get what God decides he's going to give us. That's actually not true. Why? Because we see here very clearly that in the absence of Solomon asking for wisdom, he would not have been given wisdom. God said, at your word, because you asked for this, I will give you this. 
Why was Solomon given wisdom? Because Solomon asked for wisdom. And that is the only way to answer the question. Why was, was Solomon given fame and wealth? Because God decided all by himself to give Solomon wealth and fame. Solomon did not receive wealth and fame because he asked for it. He received it because God said, I'm just going to give it to you. Now here is where we see something as well, is this, this gray area out into the future. He said, if you will walk in my ways, then there will be a reward where I will lengthen your days. When was that going to be decided? Was it going to be decided right then or was it going to be decided later? It was going to be decided later because along the way, if he obeyed God, what was God going to do? Lengthen his days. Did God lengthen Solomon's days that moment? No. When was he going to lengthen his days? When he walked with him. But what did he give him right then? He gave him wisdom right then. Why? Because Solomon asked for it. So when we see all of the ways that God moves with us, we will actually be far more open, far more discerning, and far more willing to seek him because we will understand there are promises that we will only receive if we ask him for them. We will also understand that there will be rewards that we will only receive if we obey him. And we will also know that while we obey him and while we ask for things, that God will just give us some other stuff because he loves us. But not everything will we receive just because he loves us and not everything will we receive just because we ask and not everything will we enjoy just because we walked in his word. Different promises, different times, different prayers, different lifestyles. It's a relationship. This is not a, an exercise in checking off the boxes. This is a relationship with God. And there are some things that you will want from God that God will just give you. There are other things that you will want from God that you will not have unless you ask him for them. And there are some things that you will want from God that you will not receive unless you obey him fully. In the absence of full obedience, will be the absence of a particular promise. For Solomon, it was, I'll lengthen your days. What is that promise for you? Are you in relationship with God enough to know those things that he's asking you right now to say, what do you want? What is God asking you right now, what do you want? And what is God just doing for you right now? And what is available to you if you will obey him? We, we should always have some sense of being aware of these things. We may not always have the answer, but we should always be aware of the potential, of the possibility of what should I be doing today that has a promise tomorrow? What do I need today that God's promised to give me if I ask him? And what do I have today that I just need to give him glory because I didn't ask and I didn't earn it and I didn't deserve it, but Jesus just did it for me. There's something of a gratitude that wakes up in us when we're aware of what he did for us that we didn't even ask for. All right, so let's just kind of, let's kind of get there. Um, why don't we do this? Why don't we start with Solomon? Solomon loved God. Who was this Solomon? For some of you that are a little bit new to church, let me sort of catch you up because in order to understand Solomon, you have to understand his dad. And in order to understand his dad, you actually don't get the full picture from the text. 
Because here's what the text tells us about David, that he was faithful, that he kept the statutes of God, that he basically did everything that he should have done at all times. That's essentially what the text tells us. But if we back up a little, before the moment, we see David make some terrible mistakes. But it's fascinating to me how David is not counted or even described by God because of his mistakes, but rather because of his obedience. And it is important for us to realize that we are not the measure of the mistakes that we have made. There has to be within us at some point a willingness to let go of our past and to live in the freedom that Jesus has given us. Let me, I don't, I don't know, there's, there's a part of me, like I've done a lot of dumb stuff. Like, a lot of dumb stuff. But I really, I don't know if I'm just like naive, I don't know if I'm arrogant, I haven't figured it out yet, because I talk to people a lot of times that haven't done as many dumb things as I have, and they like, they, they, they carry the weight of it. And I'm always like, why? I mean, I like wake up free as a bird. I just don't, like, I don't have a guilty conscience. I'm just not bothered by things that happened that I did, not happened to me. I mean, that I did. I'm not worried about what I did yesterday because I said, hey, Jesus, I'm sorry. I blew it. Forgive me. And then he comes in and does exactly what he promised to do. He takes my sinfulness and he casts it away from me as far as the east is from the west. And this is exactly what we see in the life of David in this moment. He was described as a man who was faithful, a man who walked in the statutes, and a man who walked in the commandments of God. But just, just maybe for your benefit, I know it's not good for us to compare. Comparison, it's terrible, we shouldn't compare, whatever. Let's compare for a minute. Let's just take maybe you know your mistakes, and let's just compare them to David's and see maybe, maybe if he was worse than you were. And if he had freedom because he was worse than you are, then maybe through comparison you might be able to find freedom. This is a terrible exercise, but we're going to try it anyhow. So if we back up a little to 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 10, uh, we, we see this said about David. Now, in 1 Kings, he was faithful, kept statutes, kept commandments. But chapters before, in a book before, 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 10, this is what we see. This is God speaking to David. Now therefore, the sword shall not depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Well, that doesn't sound like faithfulness, keeping commandments, or keeping statutes. Nothing about that sounds good. What David did, he was on his roof, and he's looking out over the city, and he sees somebody who is privately taking a shower, but in an act of voyeurism, which has pornographic connotations, he stares at a naked woman, is attracted to her, sends his people to go get her. She has no choice in the matter. She's brought to the king. He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. Now he doesn't know what to do. So her husband, who was away at battle fighting a war that he suggested they get into, 
he sends to have that guy brought back so that that guy and his wife can hang out for a night. And then he, the warrior, says, no, no, I'm not going to enjoy pleasure while my men are out there getting killed. Like, that's not what I'm here for. So then he goes back out, and David says, okay, well, that didn't work, so here's the only thing we can do. Put him on the front line and let him get killed. Now, I don't know what you have in your past, But we probably haven't any done anything like that. And what is the memory? What is the reputation of David? That he was a faithful man. That he walked in the commandments and the statutes of God. Why? Because we will not be remembered by the sins of our past, but rather by our willingness to obey God. And when we get that, there is a freedom that we can walk in. Because I dare say there are some of us who just don't feel confident to lift our hands past here. Because there's still some shamefulness about yesterday. We're not willingness when somebody says, hey, let me ask you something. Rather than just speaking from the gospel that we have in our heart, we will say things like, well, I'm not one to ask about that. Why aren't you somebody to ask about that? You have the gospel in your heart. You've been serving God. Well, yeah, but you know, I made a mistake. I don't care about your mistake. And God doesn't care about your mistake either. That's what forgiveness is. And if God can forgive you, then you need to forgive you so you can walk in the full light of what he has prepared for you. Please understand, Solomon was the child of a union that should have never happened. This, this is the Solomon we're talking about. 12.10, because you despised me. But then if we move up to 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 24, like just 14 verses later, it says Solomon, David comforted his wife Bathsheba. Comforted. Guys, gals, it's a fun word. And she... Bore him, married guys and gals, by the way. She bore him. It's, you know, only the guys ever smile at stuff like this. <laughs> only. All the gals are always like, and the guys are always like, there's gotta be a little something for a dude in the house, too, right? All right. She, let's, let's start over. We, 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 we digressed. David comforted his wife Bathsheba and she bore a son and he called him Solomon and the Lord loved him and you don't think the Lord can love you the Lord loved him God loves you God has a plan for you God has a purpose for you. And I don't care where you came from and I don't care what you did. What I know is that God so loved the world. God loves you. God has a purpose for you to fulfill. And if you'll just believe it, you, you, might, you might start making steps 
to fulfilling it. Because there's a promise for you that you will only experience if you do the thing that God has told you to do. God loved Solomon. The Lord loved him. So we see a union that should have never happened, but it happened. They have a son, and God loves the son, and God chose that son to be king over Israel. God chose that son to be the one to replace David on the throne. That son from a marriage that should not have ever happened. One of Solomon's greatest accomplishments and greatest commands was actually to build the temple of God. God had been in a fabric tabernacle. And it was David's desire to build him a stone temple. And God said, well, you're not gonna do it, but I'm gonna let your son do it. Oh, and by the way, not any of your sons, but that son, the one that came from that marriage. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let him build the temple. Where did he build the temple? He actually built the temple on the land that Solomon bought to build an altar of thanksgiving because God stopped his judgment upon a people that had only started because David sinned against God and began numbering all of his people so that he would have confidence in his army rather than in confidence in God. And because of his arrogance and because of his disobedience, there was judgment on the people and then God stopped. He stayed the judgment at that place where David bought and built an altar and at that place the temple was built. So at a place that was the end of judgment that only started because of the sin of David and by a son that only existed because of a union that should have never happened was the king of Israel and the temple that was built for the glory of God. I just want to let you know that it doesn't matter what you did. There is purpose that God has for your life that if you'll just forgive yourself and step in the forgiveness that he's already done for you, you will accomplish far more than you could ask or imagine. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 says it very clearly. And we know. We don't think. We don't hope. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You say, can he use that? He can use anything. God can use you. God wants to use you. You just have to let him. You just have to be willing to be used by God. It said Solomon, that Solomon. Solomon loved God. Now what did it mean that Solomon loved God? It meant that the ways that God had determined that he would be loved, how he would be loved, those are the things that Solomon did. We don't actually get to decide how we love God. God has already decided how we love him. He's already told us the things that we do in order to demonstrate our love for him. We can't neglect the things that he has told us to do and just pick up things that we want to do and say, I'm doing all of this to love you. And he says, that's all great, but I told you to do this to love me. We don't actually get to define what love is. I know this can be kind of a, uh, I don't know, maybe a messy conversation in 2023, but it doesn't change what truth is. Just because we have come to a place in our existence where we are willing to question the very basics and foundations of truth doesn't mean truth itself has moved. 
It just means we've drifted from it. God determines what love is. We don't get to determine love. He determines what love is. We don't get to determine how to demonstrate our love for him. He has demonstrated how we will love him. He said there's no greater love than this, than the one who would lay down his life for his friends. God decided that. We didn't. God determined what love would be. God said what love is, and then God came in and fulfilled it. It was his to fulfill. Why? Because he is love. 1 John chapter 4, 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. So I can't make up a new definition for love. I can only use God's definition because he is love. Period. Um, we'll jump back. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4. He explained to us what love is. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. It never ends. We love according to how God told us love is. Like I, 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 people like this drive me crazy. Like somebody, there'll be a conflict and someone will say, I'm sorry. And then they'll walk away and you're like, oh, well, I guess that's it. They didn't mean it. I'm, what? They didn't mean that. That wasn't actually a true apology. Here, a true apology is all these things. Look, just because they didn't read your little blog post about what a real apology is, doesn't mean they didn't mean it. Love believes all things. If somebody told you they're sorry, could you just believe them? Just believe them. That they, oh yeah, but that's naive. No, no, no. No, they said they're sorry, so you just accept their apology. Love believes all things. Love bears all things. What does that mean? That means when somebody is obnoxious or obnoxious to you, you just bear it. You just deal with it. I'm not saying if somebody is hurting you, you stay in a hurtful, toxic situation. What I'm saying is when somebody's just obnoxious, just let them be obnoxious. Love, it bears all things. Oh yeah, but you, you don't really know. You don't, you don't understand. We all understand. We all deal with miserable people. You don't have, nobody in this room has the corner on miserable people. We all, we all deal with them. <laughs> Love is not irritable. Some, some people just, just the way they are sets you off. Now let's just, we'll just meddle for a minute. Since you're looking at me like that, let's just, let's just, let's go there. You know, you'll see people and somebody will come in and say something. They walk away and you're like, why are you so, well? I just, their resting face. Their resting face? Their resting face. Just irritates me. Well, don't be irritable. It's, it's, it's you. Like, you have to be loving. Why? Because that's what love is. It never ends. It, like, it's not you can just love them yesterday, but then today their face is allowed to get on your nerves. No, 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 no. It never ends. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Like, I actually want things to go well. I hear people talk, and it's like they want the world to be, like, terrible. I actually want to have a good day tomorrow. 
I want you to have a good day tomorrow. I want people that get on my nerves to have a good day tomorrow so that when I interact with them, it'll be somewhat of a good interaction. And then, because the thing I hope for doesn't happen, then I'm just gonna choose to not be irritable and choose to bear all things. Why? Because the thing I hoped for didn't happen. But even in the middle of that, what am I gonna do for tomorrow, the next day? I'll be hopeful again because it hasn't happened yet, so I'm gonna hope that it goes well. This is what love does. Love is patient, love is kind. But here's another thing that love is. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. This is one that gets real cranky in the world where we live in, and we're having to figure out how to not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoice with the truth, while at the same time being patient and kind. Uh, let me throw this little story out there. Um, when I was a senior at USF, um, I was a economics major and psychology major. And so I'd gotten to the end and there were two classes that I did not have and so I had to take them both at the same time. And they were both from the School of Women's Studies. You can imagine that, I, I mean, I didn't, I was like a dude, why would I take a class in Women's Studies? It wasn't a marriage class, it was a class on women's studies. I didn't think it really applied to me. However, it was very necessary, and I took two classes. One of those was Black Women in America, one of the most amazing classes that I've ever had in my life, and changed a perspective that I didn't have before that moment. It was a beautiful class. This next class was Feminist Voices. Now that was, a, I didn't like this class. <laughs> I didn't like this class at all. Like, we're not talking about equality and care and loving and, like, maybe classical feminism. We're talking about neo-feminism where, like, we hate dudes. Everybody in the room hates. It was me and this other guy, and he never said a word, but I don't know if you know my personality type. But I would just sit there furious, and I would just, just lay in wait with an with a arm full of statistics. And as soon as there was a pause for a question, and I'd stand up and me and the professor, we would just go at it and I'd yell at her. She cried one time, like, I mean, it was, oh, oh, it was terrible. Like, absolutely terrible. This lady was a moron. But the thing was, with a PhD, by the way. And I was just an undergrad student, so you see who the real moron was. But like, I, I wasn't putting up with it. I wasn't going down like that. And I'd just stand up and And she finally at the end, when we were all done with the whole thing, she's like, I just want you to know that every paper you turned in, I had to read last because I didn't want your opinions to shade how I read everyone else's papers. And I would just read your papers angry. You ruined more nights than I can count. And I'm like, okay. Well, I never rejoiced with wrongdoing. Right? Like, like that's the thing. I wasn't going to rejoice, but rejoices with the truth. But love isn't just that. Love also is patient and kind. And had I been more concerned with actually bringing somebody into the truth rather than just arguing with them, I may not have ever moved the needle, but the interaction would have been positive. 
And instead of a positive interaction, it was a train wreck, not because of what I said, but because of my motives and the way that I was saying it. Love isn't one thing or the other, it's everything. And all of that love never ends. It never ends. I get asked this question right along. It's Labor Day weekend, so it's just a bunch of Christians in the room, so you probably would wonder. I'm gonna answer the question. Um, but I'll get asked, you know, Sean, would you attend, because preachers on TV get asked this all the time, would you attend a same-sex wedding? Is that something that you would do? Like, shouldn't we be loving to something that, and my answer is always no, I wouldn't. And I, well, why wouldn't you? And I say very simply, because I can't rejoice at wrongdoing. I can't put myself in an environment that is asking me to rejoice in the middle of something that God has condemned. So I can't rejoice at wrongdoing. I have to rejoice with the truth, but I have to do it in a way that is patient and kind. So I would have to regretfully decline, but in such a way that isn't standing on my high horse going against somebody, but rather somebody that's just saying, I can't rejoice with wrongdoing. There's a way to do that with patience, and there's a way to do that with kindness, and here's the thing, it's your interaction, you have to find the balance. And all of us, all of us have to find that balance with people that we are having relationship with. Why? Because God has called every single one of us to walk in love. But what he's not called us to do is to rejoice at wrongdoing. So we have to find the balance. We're called to find the balance. Solomon loved the Lord according to the way that God determined love to be. And then it says that the Lord appeared to Solomon. There is something about a relationship with God that literally invites the presence of God to be with you. Now, when I say appear, I'm not taking away from a vision. I'm not taking away from a dream. But I think what I'm more leaning into are those moments, and there won't be a whole bunch of them in your lifetime, but there will be a few where you are in desperate need of the presence of God to be with you because you need something from him. And I believe that when we do the things that God has called us to do, that he will show up, he will arrive in our situation, and we will be able to receive from God what we did not have before he showed up. God has something for you that he doesn't want to just give you, he wants to bring it to you. And there's just something in us about a desire to be with him that overshadows everything we want from him. And yet, when we get the desire of our heart, which is to be with him, he shows up and then he gives us the thing that we need. Solomon was in a place in his life where he had already done everything that his father had told him to do. He'd already been obedient. We look at this story and we kind of read it and think, well, this is like the moment he was crowned. He just walked up to the high place, offered a sacrifice, and God showed up. That's actually not how this worked out. This is at least three years later from the time he was crowned king, but a year before he started building the temple. So somewhere after three years and before four, somewhere in that space, 
is where this moment happened. This is the moment where he'd already done everything that he'd been commanded to do. He had run out of instructions and he didn't know what else to do. And sometimes we wonder where God is because we're asking him to show up in the sixth month when we know what to do, we have plenty to do, and we just need to do it. Because if God shows up here, what you will end up doing is asking him to do something for you in that moment that you can actually do for yourself. I'm not saying you get like three wishes and you're blowing one so you don't want to. I don't, I don't mean it like that, but I do mean that our relationship with him, we do sometimes waste prayers. Let's look at it like this. David anointed Solomon king. Solomon became king. David then had to die. Like he later, after that moment, died. Before he died, he said, I need you to make sure this guy is killed and I need you to make sure this guy is killed and I need you to build a temple for God. <laughs> kill, kill, build a temple. Got it. Those were his instructions. And so when David passed away, this is exactly what Solomon did. He had that guy killed. This guy, he didn't have killed right in the beginning. He just banished him to his home to never leave. Then when the guy finally left because of a family emergency and then he came back, then he killed him because he left. It's a great story. You should read your Bible from time to time. There are <laughs> fascinating stories in there. But the point is, he did what he had been told to do. He was faithful in that. And he continued during that entire time to make sacrifices, to make offerings. And the promise that was given to God, Solomon was actually, the promise, I'm sorry, given to David from God, Solomon was actually fulfilling. We see this in uh, 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 4. God makes this promise to David. He says, if your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you will not lack a man on the throne of Israel. This is what we have to teach our kids. This right here, y'all, if you, if you will pay close attention to your way to walk before God with faithfulness, with all your heart, and with all your soul, then here's what I know for me. I will not lack a man on the throne seated with Jesus in heavenly places. Why? Because my kids will walk with the Lord. This is like, this is above everything. Above everything we could pray for them, above everything that we could teach them is that, that they pay close attention to their way. I don't want reckless, worryful kids. I want kids that pay close attention to their way, that they walk before him in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their mind. Are there other things that I would like them to do? Yes, but they pale in comparison to that. That's number one. Above everything, above all there is, is that they're careful before the Lord to walk with him. And so God told David, he said, if your kids will pay close attention to their way, you won't lack a man on that throne. And so now we have this moment where Solomon, the son of David, is on the throne. And now he is giving us a very intimate moment of, he, of, of a moment we had with his, that he had with his dad, which actually led to him asking for an understanding mind. See, he didn't just ask for it. 
He asked for it because he had been told this is what you're going to need. In Proverbs chapter four and verse three, Solomon said it like this. When I was a son with my father, tender. That word tender just speaks to that moment when your mind is in the plastic state. It kind of speaks towards this neuroplasticity where you're very impressionable. You can't, we can't let the world have all the conversations into our kids when they're impressionable. We need to be very, very careful and watchful. We need to be guarding parents to make sure that what they're reading and what they're filling their minds with is good stuff. Because if in these impressionable years, we just let them run free with cell phones and with iPads, what they're going to do is find all the things that the world has to offer them and they're gonna fill their minds with crap and then you're gonna come back in and you're gonna try and straighten it all out. And we could have avoided the whole mess if we just never let it get in there in the first place. See, I, I want them to be full of the word so when the world comes, they can combat the world. I don't want them to get full of the world and then they spend their lives going backwards trying to get in the word to figure out what do they need to get rid of. Just get in the word first. And when you get in the word and fill your mind with the word, when the world comes, you'll know, oh, that's not true. Why? Because you live with truth. John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. A little heavy-handed, but you get the point. Okay, so um, this is an intimate moment between David and Solomon. He says, when I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live. So to this moment before God appeared, this is exactly what Solomon was doing. He offed who needed to be offed. He set up the cabinet according to how it needed to be set up. He was offering offerings and sacrifices. He was careful to watch his way, meaning how he lived before God. He was doing all those things. He was holding fast the words that David gave him and keeping the commandments that David had given him from the law. And what was he doing? Living. He was living. And then he gave him something to get. He said, get wisdom, get insight. When God showed up, and asked Solomon, what do you want? He knew he needed those two things. He didn't have to think about it. He had done this command. He'd done that command. He'd been faithful. And in his faithfulness, it led him to the place where he didn't know what else to do. He didn't have something else to do. And his dad already told him, when you come to that place where you've done all that needs to be done, now what you're going to need is wisdom and insight. So get wisdom and get insight. God shows up and, David, and Solomon just says, give me wisdom. Give me insight. This is what I need because I don't have it. If you, if God had shown up here, he would have said, well, help me kill Joab. He didn't need help killing Joab. There was somebody already to do that. He had to, he had to level up. He, he had to go from this commandment to this commandment to this commandment until he was at a place where he was ready to be in a place to ask God for the thing that he really needed. And this is us all the time. We need to understand that there is something that we need from God, but we're only going to have the opportunity to ask him when we're doing all the things that we already should be doing. Look, for all of us, let's level up. Let's just, let's just be 
sanctified more? Like I pray, I pray for you all the time that God, last night I was praying that God would appear to you, that that which you lack, he would appear that you could ask him. You say, I don't, you, you say you pray for me. What does that mean? I pray for every chair. Here's what it means for me to pray for every single chair. And I'm gonna throw out this apology because I'm gonna pray in the spirit for a minute and I'm not going to interpret it and it's not gonna benefit you any way except just to see how I pray for you. So when I come into this room on Saturday night and I say I pray for every chair, I literally pray for every chair. I just, Jesus, would you appear to them and show them a wisdom and a knowledge and an understanding that they do not have, that they would not lack where your abundance is in front of them. Jesus, I just ask you that you show up to the, and I just pray. I just, I just pray for you, for that seat where you're sitting. I pray for every single one of them. Why? Because I believe that the anointing of God rests on his servants. And when by the anointing, I put my hands on your seat, I believe that that anointing will rest and sit there and wait for you. That the anointing of God will literally be in your chair. And when you sit down in your chair, that all of a sudden, he just comes upon you and that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who created it all will appear to you and he will bring you a wisdom that is beyond your understanding and he will bring you a knowledge for the day that is now that you will not lack any good thing in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Because God still appears today. The Lord loved Solomon. Solomon loved the Lord. And the Lord appeared to him and said, ask me what you want. And he said, I need an understanding mind. I need wisdom. I need understanding. James 1.5 gives us the ask. If anyone of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach and it, wisdom, will be given him. There is a supernatural wisdom from heaven that we need. There is a supernatural wisdom that drops from heaven to earth when we put ourselves in that place where God can appear to us and where we can ask him for the thing. And I just want to remind you this morning, if you lack wisdom or you lack understanding, ask, for the Lord will appear and he will answer your request.